The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Sunnyvale, California. Today we have this wonderful opportunity of what we call ordination. And so our sermon today is looking at elders. The mandate for church elders, mandate meaning it is required, it is a command, it is an imperative, it is not an option, it must be. It's a heavenly mandate, it's a supernatural mandate, it comes from God, He's the one that gave the mandate, it's His church, it's Jesus' church. Jesus said, I will build my church, Matthew 16, Jesus' church. So we have a mandate from God regarding the church, specifically the role of how the church is to be led and managed, and I put up there church elders. Elders is in plural, and we're going to see why that's significant. Uh, so we're just going to do an overview of what the Bible has to say about elders this morning in light of our ordination of an elder in our midst. Just first a couple of maybe diagnostic questions that we typically maybe don't take the time to think about that are practical and relevant of church life here in America. If you were to ask, how should we run a local church? Or, as many would ask, how should we structure the local church? Or, what should the hierarchy of leadership be in the local church? That's a, those are practical questions that people are thinking through all the time. And many times, and, and then the last question is, where do we go to get the information to answer those three questions? How do we run a church? Who should be running the church? And where do we go get the information that tells us how to do that? Well, many, unfortunately, they, they go to many different sources, human wisdom, books, tradition, the way it was done before them, television, movies, their denomination, all those options except for the Bible. And so simply stated that if we want to know what a church should be like, the dynamics of a church, how a church should function, what the leadership should be, the hierarchy that needs to be in place, what our mandates are, where do we go? We go to the Bible. The Bible is the only source that talks about the church and how to run it and all the details. You can't find that information outside of the Bible. It's really fundamental, so that's what we do, just simply go to the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about a local church? Let's just do what the Bible says. We just study the book of Acts. There it's modeled for us, how a church was started by the Lord Jesus Christ on the foundation of His apostles that He trained, and then they served faithfully. They started the church. God used these people to start the church, to grow the church, to develop the church, and then to plant churches and replicate the church all over the world. And then God brought Paul to talk about the church and plant churches and then write epistles on the principles of maintaining a church, starting a church, how to run a church, how to function wrote 13 epistles, and then the apostles wrote 27 books, finalized those. That was God's complete word and absolute authority on everything God had to say for us in this lifetime about what we need to know about the church. The Bible is totally sufficient of everything we need to know about the local church, and it all comes from the Bible. And so that's what I want to do this morning is just some principles regarding of really the leadership of a local church, because I don't know if you've ever had this. Maybe you've attended a church in the past where the church was run by one guy, and he was called the pastor or the senior pastor, or I'm the pastor of the church. 
As a matter of fact, this week at the Shepherds Conference with 3,300 pastors, there were a few guys that I met, and they said, I'm, I'm the pastor of my church. And I inquired just, oh, really? Oh, okay, so do you have elders or whatever? No, I'm the, I'm the pastor. He was the only guy. For whatever reason, uh, that could be good, that could be bad. Maybe they're growing and developing or they just planted. But sometimes it's, no, I've been there 20 years and I'm the pastor, I'm the only pastor. I run the show. So they don't have plural elders, they have one guy. And that's a very typical American model of a church, actually. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that. But that, that's not consistent with what the Bible clearly says about the, the leadership in the local church. So... I just want to run through some verses and principles uh, before we leading to our ordination of J.R. this morning to remind us all of what God has to say about elders or leaders in the church. So I've got, if you're numbering and taking notes, I think I have about, what is that, 15, 16 points? Here we go. Uh, some of them I'll just read the verses to you. Others I want you to actually look at the passage. Uh, first couple, you don't need to turn there, but just listen carefully. So the word elder. So we're talking about there's a mandate from God to have church el- a plurality of church elders in every local church. That's my premise. God tells us if we have a church, a real church, at, at its foundation we need a plurality of elders, which begs the question, what's the difference between like a Bible study with 20 people in it at somebody's house and a church with 20 people at, at somebody's house? Or is there a difference? Well, absolutely there is. Because from God's point of view in the New Testament and what Jesus taught and the apostles, for a church to be a church, at a minimum, you need a plurality of qualified called elders or pastors and shepherds for that church. If you have a Bible study with 20 people and you don't have any qualified elders, you don't have a church, you have a Bible study, regardless of what you call it. This is our house church. Oh, really? Who's your pastors and elders? We don't have any then it's, not, it's a Bible study. No, it's our church. No, it's a Bible study. No, it's our church. Anyway. No, it's a Bible study. It could be a good Bible study. That's okay. It could lead to a church. That's fine. Bible studies are good. But we don't want to compromise what the Bible clearly says. So uh, just point number one is regarding the plurality of elders. The first time that we see a plurality of elders in a local church is in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, verse 30. That's the first time it's just used. Luke just says it was the, in the church of Jerusalem, there were the apostles, a plurality, and elders. It was the apostles and the elders. So there was a plurality of elders who were Christians, and they worked in concert and harmony with the apostles as the leaders of that local church in Jerusalem. So Acts 11.30, first time we're just introduced. He just states the fact there are a plurality of elders ruling in this church. Number two, uh, the word elder is usually plural in the New Testament. That's even true in the Old Testament. The elders, the elders, the elders, just about everywhere you see it. I think there's an exception in 1 Timothy 5, 19, but it's talking about one elder who is a group of a plurality of elders, so the principle still applies. So point number two is elders is always plural in the New Testament with respect to the church. You need a plurality of leaders, a plurality of men who lead the church together, a team of men. And Jesus modeled this as he trained 12 apostles, really, to be the first pastors and elders of the first church that started in Jerusalem. So Jesus set the example, the precedent. We're not going to have one guy. It's not going to just be Pastor Peter, Peter the senior pastor. Peter was not the senior pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Peter served with 11 other qualified, trained, godly men 
as a team who pastored that one church in Jerusalem. And then as people got saved, they also had elders join their leadership team. And so that's the clear model throughout the New Testament is that elders is always in the plural and there's tremendous wisdom in that. Uh, God's wisdom in a plurality of elders is seen actually in point number three. Elders were first instituted by God in the Old Testament in the ministry of Moses, starting in about Exodus chapter 4 and throughout the book of Exodus and the Pentateuch as a gift from God to help Moses. One guy, Moses had to lead about two million Jews. Couldn't do it by himself, so he raised up other leaders, though they were called elders. And so there's team leadership from the very beginning. That team leadership carried over into the ministry of Jesus as he trained 12 apostles. That became the foundation of the local church where there's team leadership, a plurality of elders. That has always been God's design. That's why it's a mandate. So if you have a church and you want to be biblical and you want to be obedient and you want to be healthy and you want to be blessed by God, then you need a plurality of elders who are your shepherds in the church. Not a lone ranger who's in charge and calls himself the senior pastor. I know that's a common term. There's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with it, but it is true that the only place the phrase senior pastor occurs is in 1 Peter 5, and it's in reference to Jesus. He's called the senior pastor. So that's why I don't like to call myself the senior pastor. That's the, the position is already occupied by Jesus. I am his servant. I am his underling. I am, and we are all under his leadership. And that's more comforting, isn't it, to have Jesus as your senior pastor than me? I mean, that's got to encourage your heart. I know it does mine. Complaining about me as the senior pastor. You can't know I'm not the senior pastor. You want to complain about your senior pastor? That's Jesus. So there's just this wisdom from God and a plurality of leaders. So that's God's design. And the plurality of leaders provides protection for the people so that you don't get manipulated by one man who is finite and fallen and uh, myopic and has blind spots because we all do. So it protects the people. It also protects the leaders. I am protected because we have a plurality of elders here at GBF. Right now we have five elders plus me, and after today, praise God, we will have me plus six other. I have seven elders at this church, which protects me, and all the other elders are protected by their other brothers as well in in many ways because we function as a team. I don't have all the gifts necessary to minister in a church in a healthy way. I need the blessings and the leadership and the wisdom and the counsel and the accountability and the guidance and the encouragement and the giftedness of my other elders who complement my ministry. And that's by God's design. So we can't tamper with his model. Every church needs a plurality of elders. This started way back in the days of Moses. Number four, elder, what does it mean? Well, our English word, Elder actually comes, it's not etymologically related to the Greek word in the New Testament or the Old Testament word at all. Elder, that's just an old English word from like a thousand years ago. Elde, which meant old. Olde, elde. You know if you read the, that Beowulf stuff from a thousand years ago? That's where it comes from. Old English and then it became elder. All it means is older. And many different nuances to it which is a translation, the Greek word for elder is presbyter. That's all. What does that mean? Well, old ones, either in age or in maturity. So that's what an elder means, at least in Greek, an old one, a mature one. In other words, don't let the children's church kids run your church. That's that's wise. God is wise. The old ones, and then 
the Greek came from the Hebrew word, which is the Old Testament. They had elders in Moses' day, and they weren't called presbyters because that's Greek. Moses called his elders zakain, zakain. That's the Hebrew word. And it literally, it's a very graphic term. It means chin or beard. The bearded ones, the bearded ones helped Moses, the elders and the old. The bearded ones implies that they're older. They can actually grow a beard. So it's very concrete. That's where it comes from, grow a beard. Also, is consistent with the fact that in the New Testament, God makes it clear that women are not to be elders because they can't grow beards. But also, God has a different role for women. They're, women are just as important as male elders in terms of their ministry and their role. They just have a different role, different function. It has nothing to do with inherent value, dignity, or anything. Just a role. A mom is a mom. A dad is a dad. Women have babies. Men don't. Uh, women have babies, and sometimes dads that are good dads and spirit-filled change diapers. That's what I believe. Anyway, so elder, older, mature. Now let's look at a, a couple of verses. I'll just read them to you by way of summary. In Acts 14.23, Paul went out. He was a church planter. He wrote 13 epistles on how to run a church. And in Acts 14.23, he planted several churches, then he went back to those churches, and it said he, he taught them, he built them up, he raised up leadership, and then he appointed elders for them in every church. There it is. Every church from Paul's point of view, every church without exception, needed a plurality of appointed elders. It's, it's just clear, Acts 14.23. And the word appointed is a, a very technical phrase that's used here in, a, in other places. What does it mean that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders? Well, the leadership that was called by God were the ones that formally appointed the elders. The word there means, and it has to do with their hands, they extended their hands in public before the saints with a formal installment of these men who were called and qualified to be elders. It was, a, it was a public spectacle. It was a public formal ceremony. It was a big deal. That's why we do it here publicly. Our elders come up and we lay hands on our new elder in light of this verse. Elders need to be appointed. A plurality in every single church. Acts 15.22. Paul goes on in his ministry. There's the Jerusalem Council. This is around 49.50 A.D. Paul's been planting churches. They had a theological controversy that arose. All the leaders of all the churches got together, including Paul, Peter, the apostles, James, the half-brother of the Lord. It was intense. They debated. They prayed. They wrestled. They argued. They sought God's wisdom and the unity of the Spirit, and they came to, not a consensus, they came to understand and discern the will of God, the perfect will of God as a result of prayer, studying the Scriptures. And in light of new revelation and listening to the leadership of the apostles and Paul. And then they made a conclusion. It's a beautiful conclusion. Listen to this. So they all got together at this very controversial, potentially divisive council. We call the Jerusalem Council over Jews and Gentiles coming together. Different ethnicities. Dealing with prejudices. Dealing with biases. That could just rip a church apart. And God brought them all together in perfect unity, and here was the conclusion. Then it seemed good to the apostles, plurality of the leadership there, and it also seemed good to the elders, plural. It seemed good to the elders. So the apostles had a perspective. They were unified. And they were in concert with the elders. It also seemed good to the elders. So the apostles and the elders agree. And then, therefore, they make their decision. No, they don't just make their decision without what God's people in the church think. So it seemed good to the apostles. It seemed good to the elders and with the whole church. Isn't that awesome? 
That's how elders should function. Seeking God's wisdom through prayer, seeking the Scriptures, seeking to preserve the unity of the faith in the truth of God, and not being an oligarchy who turns away from the input and the perspective and the opinion of the people, but listens to the people of God who are Christians in their midst because the Spirit of God lives in every true Christian, and God brings them to this unprecedented unity Acts 15.22, then it seemed good to the apostles, and it seemed good to the elders, and it seemed good to the whole church. Then they made a decision, and that's our desire and goal here at GBF. We have seven elders after today. We aren't an oligarchy. It's not just, well, here's what the elders think. This is what we need to do. I don't care what you think. We're getting red carpet next week. I don't like red. Well, who cares? We're the elders. That's wrong. That is arrogant. That's self-willed. It's not being a servant. It's not being like Christ, that's for sure. So, elders should act in harmony with each other, with the Lord, with His will, with His Scripture, with the Spirit, and with God's people, the saints, the brethren, God's people. Next principle, 1 Timothy 5.17 says, this is uh, what an elder is supposed to do. So, here we're going to ordain J.R. Cuevas today. So what do we expect of J.R.? Well, I have, I have many expectations of J.R., but none of them are legitimate except the ones found in the Bible because the duties of J.R. are clearly, of elders are clearly delineated in Scripture, and we shouldn't have any less or any more than what the Bible gives. So one of the things that J.R. is expected to do, 1 Timothy 5.17, is to rule, to rule well. To rule and to rule well. To rule means to lead. He has authority. He doesn't have inherent authority. He doesn't have an innate authority. He has delegated authority. He's a stewardship over that authority that came from God. He has to render accountability to God for that delegated authority. It's not his own. His authority comes from God via the Scripture and the Holy Spirit. That's how he needs to rule. And he needs to rule in concert with the other elders. But 1 Timothy 5.17 says, and expects elders to rule well. In other words, not rule bad not rule illegitimately, not rule in a self-serving way, not rule in a way that violates Scripture, not rule that is contrary to how Jesus would serve. You need to rule well, elder. And if you do rule well, then you are to be considered worthy of double honor by the people and the people that you serve and that you rule over, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So what is an elder expected to do? According to 1 Timothy 5.17, he needs to rule, he needs to rule well, and he needs to work hard at preaching and teaching. Work hard, study, not be lazy, not compromise, not take shortcuts, to be trained, to labor, to anguish, to make it a priority, to give your life to it. J.R. has thought through all of this, as have all the elders, and he's committed to it. Work hard. So you should expect your elders to work hard. Pray for your elders who work hard, but expect them to work hard. It is arduous work, being a pastor, elder. Romans 12.8 says, an elder needs to be gifted with the gift of leadership and let him who leads lead well, lead with diligence. So to be an elder, you, gotta, you have to have some spiritual gifts. One of them is leading. That, that is a spiritual gift to be a leader. If you try to lead something and you're not gifted at being a leader in the spiritual domain, you will collapse. You will be smothered. You will have a breakdown. You will be overcome. I've seen it time and time again. I tell you, every time I go to back to the Shepherds Conference, I hear about another brother who has been overcome by the ministry and has collapsed. 
I heard it about, about it again this week. It's sad. Leadership in the church is difficult. It is hard. There's, you're dealing with sin all the time. You're also dealing with an opponent who never gives up, and that's Satan. He's real. So are his demons. It's a supernatural ongoing attack. So you need to lead. You need to be a leader. Being a leader is hard. Being a leader can be lonely. But as a leader, you need to provide direction for your people. As a leader, you also need to be a mediator. This is what one, one thing that people don't really think about a lot about. So what are the duties and responsibilities of a pastor? And they, well, you need to pray, true. You need to be praying for, you need to teach and preach, true. You need to counsel, yes. You need to provide direction, yes. You need to give wisdom, yes. You need to oversee, true. These are all good. Many times one thing is left out. If you're an elder, leader, pastor, what you're expected to do is mediate conflict. You have got to be able to deal with conflict. Not just the conflict you have with someone in the church. It's mediating the conflict between the so-called saints who are at each other's throats at times. That is tiring. It is difficult. It is complex. It is ongoing. And it takes the supernatural sustaining grace of God to do it in wisdom and to persevere. And a leader needs to expect that. Uh, then one more point here. First Peter 5 tells us very clearly, it's a command from Peter to elders, and he says, I exhort the elders among you, I exhort the elders, plural, among you, I want you to do something. Make a priority of this, to shepherd the flock of God. So he uses the word pastor as a verb. Elder is a noun, almost always a noun. Elder, I'm an elder. It's a noun. It means I should be qualified by way of age or spiritual maturity, how old I am. That's the qualifications. Elder refers to the qualifications. What I do is shepherd or pastor. That's the verb. Take care of the sheep. And then in that same passage in 1 Peter 5, it says that because God's put you in the office of overseer, episkopos, episcopal, all three words used in the same passage. Elder refers to qualifications. Shepherd or pastor refers to what you do. Overseer, bishop, episkopos refers to the office that you occupy. And they are all complementary terms, three terms. So, Pastor Cliff, are you a pastor, an elder, or a bishop? I'd say, yes, I am. Because they're complementary terms, and that's how they're used in the New Testament. So that's very important to keep in mind. So finally, I'm going to close on this. Turn to First Peter, or sorry, First Timothy 3, if you have a Bible. And we'll just read these qualifications. So if you want to be an elder, pastor, overseer, presbyter, episcopal in the church, you need to be gifted, but you also need to be qualified with these specific qualifications. We could read Titus chapter 1, which is complementary to this. So there's probably about 20 qualifications from God's point of view in order to be an elder in the church. I can't read Titus. I don't have enough time, but I just want to read the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. These are the qualifications, okay? Now, as I'm going through, notice not one of the qualifications is not... It doesn't say, he's perfect. Some people expect that. I don't think he should be an elder. He's not perfect. Yeah, that's true. I guess you won't have any elders at any church because there is only the senior pastor, Jesus, is perfect. He's not perfect. So there are realistic qualifications. Well, he's got a shortcoming. He's got a weakness. He's, well, you can still be qualified, but let's read them. Oh, also, as I read through, so it doesn't say he's perfect. And all the, ver- all the verbs you notice, they are in the present tense. It's not, what was this guy like 20 years ago? 
What was he like 25 years ago? What was he like 30 years ago? Was he divorced 20 years ago before he was a Christian? That's not God's emphasis. What has God made him? What is he now? How does he live? What's his pattern of life now? How does he live it out accordingly on a regular basis for all to see? How does he think now? What is his attitude now? It's all now. What has God made him by way of his character and behavior? So present tense verbs. So it is a trustworthy statement. If any man, man means man, male, especially in the complimentary passage, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man desires or aspires or hopes to be in the office of overseer, which is an elder, that's a, a fine work he desires to do. In other words, God may very well have put that desire in your heart. That's where it starts. And if you have that desire and you pursue it and you want to be an elder pastor in the church, then you need to examine yourself and have others examine you to see if you are qualified. Here are the qualifications. Verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, overall character, the husband of a one-woman man, if he's married, he's faithful, loyal, totally committed to his one wife. He's temperate. He is prudent. He is respectable. He's hospitable. He loves strangers. He's able to teach. That's a spiritual gift. You've got to be able to teach. He's not addicted to wine. It doesn't say you can't drink wine. It says he's not addicted to wine. He's not pugnacious or a fighter, meaning he's overly occupied with being argumentative. Rather, he's supposed to be gentle. You should expect your elders to be gentle. Unless, of course, sometimes when you're in the midst of serious discipline, that does happen. Jesus was gentle, and when it was required... He publicly berated the Pharisees and called them serpents, at, shouting at the top of his lungs seven times in Matthew 23. So context determines godly behavior. Gentle, peaceable. He's a peacemaker, free from the love of money. Pastors shouldn't become pastors to make money and get rich and bilk people. That is sinful. That's wicked. That's evil. If a man does not, uh, let's see, he must be one who manages his own household well. That doesn't mean he has a perfect family with perfect children. It's just he, he, he's managing. Oh, there's a problem. Oops, got to deal with that. Hopefully you dealt with it the right, the right way, a prayerful way. He's managing, present tense, his own household well. He is keeping his children under control. So there is an expectation there. Kids can't be, your kids are sinners, but they can't be out of control. And he does it with all dignity. He doesn't yell and scream at his kids. But he has a firm hand of leadership and discipline. Uh, and five, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, then how will he take care of the church of God? Well, he won't be able to. Verse six, and an elder should not be a new convert, a new believer. Uh, because otherwise he'd be vulnerable so that he will not become conceited, prideful, and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. So he's got to be seasoned. He's got to be mature, hence the word elder. He's got to be tested, verse 7, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church. His neighbor, yeah, what, are your, what does your neighbor think of you, elder, on your left side and your right side? You're always kicking their trash cans over, kicking their dog. 
or are you a, a good neighbor? That's telling. We should inquire into that. See what you're like behind the scenes. That matters. That's your character. Must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So those are some of the key qualifications. And then there's a key qualification in Titus that he adds one, says, repeats some. But one, he says, an elder is not to be self-willed. So it's not about you. It's about you serving Christ. So we have examined J.R. He's been with us for almost five years. God sent him to us, we believe, in his family. And uh, we were praying for him and with him and allowed him to serve in certain capacities part-time. And then we were allowed to, God enabled us to hire him full-time. So just a brief word about J.R. Uh, before I have him come up, he's been married to his wife, Kathy, going on nine years. They have two children, Jaden, who's seven, and Emma, who is five, unless they've had a birthday since I wrote this. Uh, J.R. is 34, saved for 15 years. You can read about his testimony in Rescued by Grace. Graduated from UCSD with the BS in biology and also from the Master Seminary in 2011 and then will finish the preaching program at the Master Seminary, Lord willing, in 2019, one more year. And he's finding great benefit in that training. Uh, he served in many capacities of ministry here at this church but also in previous churches from preaching, leading Bible study, discipleship, biblical counseling, leadership training, conference speaker, and much more. And then we uh, presented JR as a candidate that we thought was qualified, the elders did, to our members. And all of our members had three-plus weeks to give us input about JR, what they thought of JR, was he qualified, how have they been blessed, what are concerns. That was all sent to us. We vetted through that. And we believe we have the unity of the leaders and our entire church body that uh, God is calling JR to be an elder of GBF. So we are focused this morning to lay on, hands on him, commit him to the Lord, appoint him, and pray for him as our newest elder. So JR, why don't you come up with your family right up here, and then our elders will come up as well, and we're going to pray for JR. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.